AM Sports, WCKR Portland, 1230 AM and 101.7 FM. And now, Portland News, brought to you by Portland Natural Gas. Sumner County continues to make advances in becoming a healthier county, improving the overall quality of life for its residents, and making Tennessee a healthier state. Since its founding in 1997, the Sumner County Health Committee has been striving to improve the well-being of our community by addressing the physical, mental, and nutritional concerns essential to enhancing all qualities of life, while still maintaining strong networks within the county. express their views, they do not necessarily reflect those of the ownership or management of WQKR. Sumner County. Welcome to the Loyal Opposition. I'm your host, Len Asante, with the show based on the American ideal that nations like ours benefit when government reflects a diversity of voices and makes space for dissent. That's why we're here, to air the voice of dissent to the supermajority's policies and ideas. On the show today, watered-down marriage equality passes the Senate. Tennessee Lookout blasts Tennessee lawmakers and governor calling DCS situation an abject failure. Society of Family Planning indicates abortions are down 6% nationwide since Roe v. Wade overturned, however, up in Tennessee border states. Partisan agreement on the issue of spending time with family and friends, and later our guest, astronomer Tim Ferriss. Right now it's 40 degrees and cold outside, and a low tonight of 24 degrees. Cold, cold, cold. Stay warm out there, folks. All right, and now with the commentary. Up first. Ah, this week saw a landmark piece of legislation take one more step towards <clears throat> being passed into law. Excuse me, folks, if you haven't figured it out already, I've got a little bit of a cold or something, so you're gonna hear me. You're going to hear me croaking and coughing and hacking, you know, <clears throat> to be as entertaining as possible. Anyway, the Senate passed a watered-down version with bipartisan support of the Defense of Marriage Act. Uh, this is the law that will enshrine uh, the right to gay marriage in the United States Code. Uh, this passed. All Democrats voted in favor of the bill, along with 12 Republicans easily debating the 60 votes needed to uh, bypass the filibuster. Uh, as you might imagine, in Tennessee, Senators Haggerty and Blackburn both voted no, arguing the bill did not protect religious freedom. Uh, interestingly enough, there were several modifications made to the bill before, it being before the vote that increased protection for religious freedom. Uh, 
In more local news, the Tennessee Lookout has blasted Tennessee lawmakers and the governor saying current situation with the Department of Child Services is an abject failure, quote unquote. We learned in August that kids in state custody were sleeping on floors of state office buildings due to lack of resources and places to keep them. Now, we additionally now learn that disruptive kids are sent to state hospitals because DCS doesn't have the money to send them to private facilities that do have the room to take them. Meanwhile, our governor and his right-hand man, State Representative William Lamberth, R. Portland, proclaim themselves to be good Christians while doing nothing to fix this. Meanwhile, we have a multi-billion dollar budget surplus in Tennessee <clears throat> and $1.5 billion in the state rainy day fund. Sure looks like it's, sure sounds like it's raining on those poor kids. Let's do the right thing, the Christian thing, and get these kids the help they need. Our overly intrusive governments want to make sure those kids don't see drag shows or read books about real life, but when it comes to sleeping on floors of state office buildings, that seems to be just okay. Shame on Tennessee. In more mixed news, the Society of Family Planning has reported that abortions are down approximately 6% nationwide since Roe v. Wade was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court earlier this year. Uh, this decrease was driven mostly by states like Tennessee, which has an extremely restrictive abortion law, a law so restrictive no, no one actually seems to know for sure whether uh, there are any exceptions in the law at all. However, over 20 states actually reported increases in abortions as women are now being forced to travel for medical care. The largest increases were reported in North Carolina, which shares a border with Tennessee, and Illinois, where the closest abortion clinic to much of Tennessee is located. If Tennessee's law was designed to stop Tennessee women from having abortions, it didn't do it. All it did was make them drive out of state. Thanks to states like Tennessee, abortion tourism is now a thing. Once again, the law of unintended consequences rears its ugly head. Hey, on the lighter side of the news, though, we do see some partisan agreement. Wow, it actually happened. Strong majorities of both parties feel that spending time with family and friends over the holidays is meaningful and fulfilling. It's nice to see bipartisanship is still alive, uh, at least in the holiday season. Speaking of the holiday season, folks, um, we've got a couple of loyal opposition-related holiday festivities to tell you about. Number one, uh, we are choosing a charity to support for this holiday season, but I'd like to hear from my listeners what charities you would like to support. If you have a favorite charity that supports the people of Sumner County, Tennessee, and the surrounding areas, please let me know. You can text your information to our text line, area code 516-440-6310. That's 516-440-6310. Or send us an email from our webpage, www.theloyalopposition.online, uh, or message us through Facebook Messenger. Let us know what your favorite charity is and we're going to work together to raise some much-needed funds to distribute this holiday season. Mentioning the website address also reminds me that, yes, all of our shows are now on the website. So if you've missed the previous episode of The Loyal Opposition, again, you can head to our website, www.theloyalopposition.online, and where you can listen to any of our shows. Uh, we also have show-related resources and various useful links. Uh, including links to some of the images that we're going to be talking with our guest about tonight. So be sure to uh, bookmark that website and uh, save it in your browser. Uh, and more good news, uh, we are now available via Google Podcasts. All loyal opposition shows are available on Google Podcasts, so if you 
want to make sure you get announced, you get, you find out whenever there's a new, a new episode has been posted, or if you're outside the Portland area and can't hear us on the radio, uh, Google Podcasts will take you where you need to go. Just head on over there, make sure you have a Google account, and then search for the loyal opposition, and there will be. And you'll get a notification every time a new episode gets posted. All right, we're going to take a quick break right now, and when we come back, we're going to have our guest, astronomer Tim Ferriss. This is WQKR, Portland's FM radio station. You're listening to The Loyal Opposition. CEMC members, did you know CEMC now has an app? If you live in the CEMC service area, you can pay your bill, view daily usage, check your billing history, and more, all from your smartphone. Download the app today. It's easy. Just search for Smart Hub, all one word, in the Apple app or Google Play stores. For additional information, visit our website at cemc.org and click on My Account. Cumberland Electric Membership Corporation, proudly serving our members since 1938. The Sumner County Anti-Drug Coalition, an organization dedicated to ending drug abuse, is now the Sumner Prevention Coalition. But their goal is the same, helping Sumner County residents with drug abuse problems turn their lives around and get on the road to recovery. Their mission is to unite people with vision, commitment, and resources to provide solutions to eliminate substance abuse and make a difference for youth, families, and individuals in Sumner County. The coalition and its staff of experienced professionals in the field envision a healthy, safe, and thriving community free from substance abuse of all kinds, tobacco use, prescription drug abuse, and underage drinking. Find out how the Sumner Prevention Coalition can help you, and you can help the coalition. Visit them online at sumnercoalition.org. That's sumnercoalition.org. Now's the time to get a great deal on proven Kubota farming equipment. Tractors that are adaptable, versatile, and rated number one in durability and owner experience. Hay tools that are backed by a two-year warranty. And durable sidekick utility vehicles and SSV skid steers. Right now, bring home select Kubota equipment for zero down, 0% APR for up to 48 months. Now through September 30th. Visit KubotaUSA.com for full details. Whether you're on your way to work in the morning and looking to grab a quick breakfast, on lunch break and wanting something good and hot and quick, or just hungry and not sure what you want, the one place you can always find what will work for you is AM Express at the intersection of highways 31 and 52, just off exit 117 of I-65 in Portland. They're open 24 hours a day, offer both takeout and Grubhub delivery service, and have the biggest selection of fast food of anyone in the area. Fast food or home-cooked meals, meat in two sides, just six forty-nine. Delicious Godfather's Pizza, three for thirteen ninety-nine. Fried chicken, chicken strips, livers and gizzards, hot barbecued and crispy wings, fish, potato wedges, onion rings, the biggest and best selection anywhere. And 
Quiznos subs. Always hot and ready to go. Plus everything else you want to need from a truly convenient convenience store. AM Express at the intersection of highways 52 and 31, just off exit 117 of I-65 in Portland. Get what you want when you want it. Pick it up or have it delivered by Grubhub. AM Express, 615-325-1159. Welcome back to the Loyal Opposition, everybody. I'm your host, Len Asante, and this is WQKR. It is 5.13 p.m., 40 degrees out there, going down to a low of 24 tonight at the Portland Municipal Airport. So stay warm, folks, stay warm. All right, uh, excuse me, those of you who know the show know that we also do presidential trivia. So if you've got a favorite president or one you'd just like to hear some quotes from, uh, let us know, text us, or send us a message, and uh, we will uh, read your president out on the air, and we'll read some quotes from that person. Okay. Uh, onward and upward, our guest tonight is astronomer Tim Farris. Tim, welcome to the show. Hey, Lynn. Welcome. To, glad to be here. All right. Um, Tim, I asked the same first question of all my guests, basically, and that's kind of like, okay, what sorry state of affairs has led you to this place where you're sitting across the table from me led here? Led me here, yes. <laughs> but yes. Uh, tell us about yourself. What is it that you do? Uh, what have you know? What is it that you know how to do? Where have you been? And all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, I started, I guess it started with, um, I'm the grandson of a Mississippi dirt farmer that decided to go major in particle physics and cosmology in graduate school, uh, for obvious reasons, I guess, right? Not much uh, money in dirt, I guess. Huh? Yeah, well, there wasn't back then, for sure, and not that there's a lot of money in uh, elementary particle physics either, but I'm uh, really interested in in, um, in the just the basics of how the universe works and stuff, and that was a good avenue for that. Thought I was going to do research and pursued that, but then really found out that I love teaching, and so I spent the past 30 years uh, uh, <coughs> on the teaching side of things, and uh, have been at Vol State for over 20 years, which is how we know each other, and uh, I'm on the uh, science faculty there where I teach physics and engineering courses and an astronomy course and some math when they need it, so... Uh, I'm, I'm an Enneagram 5, for folks that know that. Nobody goes, oh, yeah, of course, and I'm married to a 3. So those, those of you that know that are like, oh, wow. Uh, but they say if we can make it not explode, that it works really well, which I think is probably true. So That's probably true for some astronomical phenomena. <laughs> probably, we'll too, about. yeah. We'll yeah if we can keep well, them huh? apart. They, that's nice, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, I was talking to one of your students today um, who thought your class, your astronomy class, was very interesting. But... Um, she has a perfect 4.0 average, except got a B in your class. Ooh, okay. So Sorry think, about that. So I don't think she's going to quite live that one down. For yeah, a while. I apologize <laughs> after the fact. Yeah. So. yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I wanted to bring you here today uh, to talk about uh, what I think is one of the coolest things going on in the scientific world today, and that's the uh, James Webb Space Telescope. I was wondering if you could tell us about the James Webb Telescope. What is it? Where is it at? What's it supposed to do? Yeah, so um, so we're, we're all probably at least cursory familiar with the Hubble Space Telescope that's been up for about 30 years or so, 40 years now, uh, returning lots of great results. But um, it's done pretty much everything that it can do. I mean, I mean, as far as the observing projects that they wanted to do with it, of course, there's new things that come along all, all the time that they're doing with it. But it's fulfilled all of its um, all of its mission goals. 
And so around 25 or so years ago, they started planning the details of what would be the follow-on to the Hubble Space Telescope that could do the things that the Hubble Space Telescope couldn't. And that's where the James, that's what became the James Webb Space Telescope. It took them about that 20 years or so to build it, and then for the past six or seven years, they've been checking it out, making sure that it works right, because it's not in a place where we can go, go check it out, go fix something if it's broken. And so it was launched last Christmas, literally Christmas Day, uh, and uh, <clears throat> as they've spent a few months checking it out, and we've been getting uh, observations from it back since about the middle of the summer, so June or July. And uh, it's, uh, the purpose is uh, it's, there's four things in its primary mission that it set out to do, and I'll talk a little bit about why it, what it did to make, what, how it's built to make that uh, primary mission attainable. One is it wants to, to make observations of the very earliest stars and galaxies that were formed as the universe was getting started back a long time ago. And with that, second thing is to help us understand how galaxies themselves grow and develop over time. How do they form? How do they develop over time? And then within our galaxy or other galaxies on a much smaller scale, try to understand how stars and planets form. And then if we can understand how planets form and by making observations of the planets that we know of around other stars, then we maybe can figure out some stuff about is there life there? What is conditions for life? So, that, so that's also one of, the, one of the four major things on the, on the primary mission list of this. Right? And so as you're looking at how do you want to accomplish those goals, well, that leads you to uh, wanting a telescope that's uh, designed for observing in the infrared part of the spectrum. Okay. Now, we've probably heard the word infrared. Uh, we probably felt infrared because we as humans experience infrared as heat. So when you stand in front of the space heater, you're getting a bunch of infrared radiation. Or if you're working at McDonald's and you reach under the warming lamp, they don't do that at McDonald's, do you? Uh, but that warmth know. you feel from the warming light is, is infrared. And two reasons you want to use infrared is because it's a longer wavelength wave than visible light. Right? And it's, uh, the length of that wave is such that it can get through these clouds of gas and dust that, that stars are forming down deep inside of and where planets are forming around those stars. So by using infrared rather than visible light, we can peer down into the depths of where stars are forming and get a much closer look, a much clearer look at what's going on there. And then the other thing that, that makes this infrared uh, a, a real uh, desire for the, for the James Webb is that when you're looking at very, very old things, that means it's things that are very, very far away. And over time, as light travels to us across the universe, as the universe is expanding, that causes the wavelengths of those waves that travel across to stretch and stretch. If you could imagine, or you could do this, take a balloon and draw just a wave on, the, on a balloon and then blow the balloon up, then the wave gets longer and longer as you do that. And so most of the light from these, t these uh, galaxies that are forming, these stars that are forming early in the universe, uh, is invisible light, the wavelengths that we see with our eyeballs. But by the time it travels those millions, hundreds of millions of light years to get to us, it's stretched out to such long wavelengths that our eyes couldn't see it anymore. So it's down longer wavelengths down into what would be the next, next range of, of waves, which would be the infrared. So the web, James Webb is optimized to, be, to do, to do uh, observations in infrared and uh, a little bit of visible, like the red and orange part of the spectrum, it can do a little bit that there, but mainly that. And compare that to the Hubble. So the Hubble uh, is designed primarily for visible. It can do a little bit of uh, infrared. It can do a little bit of ultraviolet, which is wavelengths shorter than, than the visible light that we can see, but it's optimized to see, see things in the visible part of the spectrum. 
So the photographs we see from the Hubble are not too different than what we could see if we were looking at it with our naked eyes. Gotcha, gotcha. And, uh, and because the Webb telescope uh, searches for infrared, uh, it itself has to be very cold. That's right, right. So, and, yeah. that, and that's one of the reasons why. Can you tell us a little bit about where it's at and why yeah, that place yeah. is special? So it's, it's an interesting location. It's, it's really clever where, where they put it. So it's, it's on an orbit around the sun, not an orbit around the Earth, where, where the Hubble Space Telescope and the, the satellites, the International Space Station, things like that, are orbiting around the Earth just a few hundred miles above the surface. James Webb is about a million miles from Earth out beyond the sun, and it's at a special point in, in the solar system where the sun's gravity is balanced by the Earth's gravity. Right? It's called a Lagrange point where those things happen. And the particulars of this specific Lagrange point makes the orbit of the James Webb telescope match the orbit of the Earth's orbit. So where it takes us one year to go around the sun, it also takes the telescope one year to go around the sun on its own orbit. So what that means is, is it always keeps the Earth and the moon, which is also an issue for it, and the sun to one particular spot. So it, and it has a sun shield on it. Basically it's a, a, a fancy plastic shield that's about the size of a tennis court and that shield is always positioned between it the telescope and the earth the moon and the sun and it doesn't have to reorient that because they're always all in the same direction for it and that's what was one of the cool things about that particular orbit that they chose and so that way they can shield the telescope from the heat that it would get primarily from the sun but also from the earth and the moon as well if you can imagine how sensitive it would be to that and keep it cooled off to oh around just 50 degrees above absolute zero or so is the, is the temperature that it operates at so, wow that's so, pretty chilly pretty yeah chilly. yeah even colder than portland tonight so, so. <laughs> but the uh the upshot of this particular location though is it's not someplace that if something happened if something broke that we could get to it and fix it that's right. If something breaks, then it's broken, and, and that's, uh, that's, that's just going to be the way it is. There have it. been several Hubble repair and upgrade missions. That's right. Yeah, one of, the, one of the issues right off the bat with the Hubble is there, there was a manufacturing defect, and it was fuzzy. It couldn't, it couldn't bring, every light, bring all the light to a it focus. It needed glasses. <laughs> it needed glasses, yeah. And, uh, and they, they figured out how to make the glasses, and a few years after doing that, uh, sent a space shuttle up and and put the glasses on it. And that's why we have these great results from the Hubble Space Telescope, because it's, it's got bifocals on, basically. So, <laughs> so, so. Okay. So I, here, I, I was going to tell you this. So, so if you want to know where the Hubble is, it's not the Hubble, but the James Webb is at any particular time during the day. So you know how you, like when you're a kid, you put your arms out and you play, play airplane, right? You know, got your arms straight out. Well, if you take your airplane and you bank it so that your left hand is pointing straight at the sun, then your right hand is going to be pointing straight at James Webb because they're on opposite sides of the earth. And so once you get that, then you just go a million miles in the direction that your hand's pointing and that's where the that's James where Webb will be, right? Oh, that's pretty interesting. That's yeah. pretty cool. Okay. So, uh, so actually, so what the sun is, has set in the west here, so yeah. the west is so that way, right? That way, yeah. And so, so if I'm... If I'm pointing, if I'm going like this, then yeah, it's we, behind me. It's behind you. Everybody now. can see this on radio. Behind me, <laughs> and just about a million miles back there. Okay. Right, so, so. <laughs> that is that is pretty cool. All right. Uh, any other differences between the James Webb and the Hubble telescope? We talked about seeking, we, looking at different wavelengths of of electromagnetic radiation, and we looked at 
differences in location. Anything yeah. else? Well, again, what the, what they designed to look at makes some differences in the mirror that you use. So, so both of these telescopes use mirrors rather than lenses to form the images. Um, <clears throat> so if you have a, a makeup mirror on your counter in the bathroom that makes your face look bigger when you look at it, that's the kind of mirror that you would use it to, in a gotcha. telescope. It's called a reflecting telescope. And with the Hubble, it uses just a regular single piece of glass, <clears throat> and it's about two and a half meters across, which is about eight feet or so, so not too, not much bigger than a person, right? And uh, it's covered with, a, with a, a, a more or less what we typically cover a mirror with, right? But some protective coatings on it and, and stuff like that. So it looks more like a, a more or less ordinary mirror. The James Webb, to get it out a million miles from the Earth, it's, a, it's, its mirror is about six and a half meters across, or about 20 or so feet. So if you had a really big living room, or say like a garage, a two-car garage, then that mirror would pretty much fill up the two-car garage or so, right? But that's going to be really heavy if you try to make that out of a single piece of glass, and it's heavier than any rocket we have would be able to send it so out that sure. far. So what they did was they made, a, made I think it's 18, I believe, uh, separate little mirrors that fit together in a, as like a, you'd fit together a honeycomb. And uh, so each one of those is individually controlled to get the proper shape of the mirror. And then since, as we talked about, since it's um, optimized for infrared, uh, the coating on the mirror is actually gold. It's a very thin gold film because gold is really good at reflecting heat, uh, uh -huh. as whereas the mirrors that we use are good at reflecting heat, but they're better at reflecting visible light. So, oh. so it's a, if you see photographs of the James Webb, that's why it's got that gold tint to it because it's actually gold. So. But it's really thin. It's not like you're gonna, you know, could like strip it off and get rich kind of stuff. So. <laughs> really thin. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, have we discovered anything yet? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's crazy. It was, I was just I just did a quick scroll down the, the 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 James Webb website at NASA today, and so there's literally hundreds of photos that they've already got up there, and that doesn't include the spectro spectroscopy that they've done where they're looking at how much energy do you get from the different wavelengths of light yet. And so um, the um, there's some really interesting photographs of solar system objects that they've taken, like Jupiter and Mars and stuff. They're at this point kind of playing around with that, um, but it, it's it's what they're telling, what I'm hearing is that the uh, the performance of the telescope is, is even better than they hoped. So it, it's better focus, right. better tracking ability, and stuff like that. Uh, it's um, there's been a few observations of trying to see through the dust clouds in the star forming regions of, of some galaxies in our neighborhood that, that look like they're really successful, a lot more detailed than we've seen before. Um, and then they've started uh, just right off the bat. They did what they call a deep field. Uh, observation. Yes, I saw this yeah. image. It was amazing. Yeah, yeah and, and you may be familiar with the Hubble Deep Field. Where With the Hubble Deep Field, they would take it and just aim it at one spot for like a week at a time mm -hmm. and just collect tons and tons of light, well, over time, but it's light from very distant, very dim objects. And they've already done a couple of those with the James Webb. They're in the process of starting to analyze it, but they already think they've found galaxies that are farther away than any galaxies that we've, uh, that we've seen before. So, it's, you know, so the observable universe just got bigger. Just got bigger, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so if you want to, in terms of time, this would be seeing galaxies that are that were formed around say 250 to 300 million years after the create after the start creation of the universe, in the in the standard Big Bang scenarios. You know, using that as a time frame, and uh, that's a couple hundred million years earlier than the farthest ones that we've seen, or the 
the most distant ones that we've seen. I, I guess we should say when you're looking away from the earth, it takes light a certain time to get here. And so the farther away you look, the longer ago you were looking as well. Right, so you're, you're looking back into the looking past. Looking back in time. Because literally right. the, the light you're seeing when you look up in the sky at those galaxies was generated by those stars billions of years ago. Yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. And so we're seeing farther away and older than we've ever seen before. And it looks like the first, again, this is first look at the data, but it looks like it's not what we were expecting to see. So we've, we've got some fairly mature theories and fairly mature models on how galaxies form over time. We think we had that, have that figured out, but what we're seeing is not consistent with that. So it's gonna uh -huh. keep, the, keep the folks busy, it looks like, for a while. So, and honestly, they're really just getting started looking at the data. It's gonna, if, they, if it broke now, there would be years of analysis on the data that they've got right now. So, so we'll see the, the consequences of what they're seeing and interpretations of what they're seeing will be coming down the pipe in, in papers and, and results here over the next few months. Does the Webb telescope have a, a lifespan? Uh, what I saw was they're expecting a 20-year lifespan out of it, which I was a little surprised it was that long, that, which that also means that they have funding for 20 years from somewhere. To, there's a commitment right, to fund the thing sure. for, the, for that long, so it's, which, uh, which is encouraging. And hopefully, you know, without barring some major flaw, um, you know, some major, you know, uh, mechanical catastrophe or something like that on it, uh, a lot of the things that, that we send up into space end up lasting longer than, than we planned for it. So. Right, the, the Voyagers are still right, going yeah. strong. They're still what, out there. 20, 30 years? I think they were launched in the 70s. 70s? Yeah, so I mean, 50, pushing 50, 50 years. years. Yeah, so. and, they are, uh, um, and they are still, they've traveled outside the solar system. Yeah. And they're in interstellar space. And uh, that's like, we're, still getting, we're still getting reports from one still, of them. Yeah, right? one of, yeah, we're getting, I think, I know one of them, we're, at least one of them we're still getting reports from. Mm -hmm. And... And just every now and then, one of the antennas will, will aim up there and, and send a little message. Go, hey, you know, phone home and <laughs> and uh, let us know what's going on out there, and it'll dump a little bit of data back down. So, it's so, amazing. Yeah. We got we got our bang for the buck, I think, with those. On people. those, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you if you amortize that, ever how many millions over of dollars over fifty, 50 years, years, it's yeah. it's a fairly small investment over time. Yeah. So. Okay, yeah. Um, we have to take a break. Uh, right. When we come back, we'll have more with uh, astronomer Tim Ferriss. This is The Loyal Opposition. You're listening to WQKR. And Why choose the Farmer's Bank? We've been serving our community since 1912 and we still manage our business locally. This means that when you need banking services or a loan, we don't let a computer or someone thousands of miles away make our decisions. We make decisions locally. We visit with you in person. We shake your hand. We get to know you and your family. The Farmer's Bank is a community bank built on trust and quality customer care and service. Visit us at any of our 11 area locations or online at thefarmersbank.net to see the Farmer's Bank difference. Equal housing lender, member FDIC. Cash is king at the Mint Gaming Hall this month. You need cash and we have it. Play with your Mint Rewards card to earn entries every day. Then join us for your chance to win up to $10,000 cash on Fridays at Kentucky Downs and Saturdays at Bowling Green. You know cash is king and we aren't messing around on the weekends at the Mint Gaming Hall. TheMintGaming.com has all the details. Cash is king, baby. Problem gambling? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Winning just got closer. If you were about to have your last McRib ever, you'd want some warning. So this is your notice to enjoy the sauciest McDonald's sandwich more than ever. Because the McRib Farewell Tour. 
has begun. This is your chance to say two final goodbyes to a classic. For a limited time, enjoy two McRib sandwiches for only $6. Hurry before they're gone. At participating McDonald's, McD app download and registration required. Now you can join Planet Fitness and get the PF Black Card for zero enrollment, $24.99 a month, and get all the perks. I love perks. Do you love having access to 2,000-plus locations? Yes. Bringing a friend every time? Hashtag friend goals. And recovering with massage chairs? Who doesn't? Get the PF Black Card and feel spectacular. Zero enrollment, $24.99 a month. See Club for details. Still going strong, Steve Austin Music has been a leading provider of instruments and lessons since 1999. They also offer repairs, parts, books, and DVDs at 115 Main Street in Portland. This is Steve. It's exciting to see new items coming in almost every day. Check out our new and used stringed instruments, effect pedals, drums, keyboards, pianos, and band instruments, plus reeds, straps, audio gear, and accessories. Steve teaches guitar, banjo, fiddle, harmonica, bass, drums, dulcimer, mandolin, auto harp, recorder, and voice. He performs monthly at Ellis Tech, a Mexican restaurant, 121 Main Street in Portland. Stop and see me at 115 Main Street or call 615-323-0701. Steve Austin Music, a Portland, Tennessee tradition since 1999. County. You are listening to The Loyal Opposition with your host, Lynn Asante. 24 degrees is going to be the low tonight. It is 5.34 p.m. Stay warm. Stay safe out there, folks. Had a question come in from a listener over the break. Uh, Michael from Gallatin uh, wants to know if Professor Ferris is working on any research projects currently. Yeah, Michael, I've got a couple of little things that I, as I told Lynn over the break, that I'm piddling with a little bit, but um, nothing uh, really major. Uh, what I found is that with, um, if I wanted to really be involved in, um, you know, current research in astronomy or physics, that the amount of time it would take to take to um, get up, stay up to speed with what everybody else was doing, would take away from my teaching duties, and so I just don't don't invest that in that. But I try to keep up with what other people are doing, though. So it's pretty interesting what's going on. So. We live in an amazing age of discovery. Yeah, it's people call this the golden age of astronomy in, in part because so many of the things that we've just thought about and speculated on what might be happening in the in the universe, now we can actually make observations and get actual data to to constrain those those speculations. The technology has so. kind of caught up with our imagination to some degree. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that, I guess that leads me to sort of a, a bigger or a deeper or a more philosophical question. Um, why study the universe? We've, we've obviously spent a lot of money, um, yes. billions of dollars building these satellites and telescopes and rockets um, uh, to gather knowledge about, well, stuff so far away that many people can't even comprehend the distances involved. So, right, yeah, so yeah. Why do we do that? Well, I think personally it's, 
I think humans are just going to be curious and they're just going to try to discover stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just something that we're going to do. And we may not necessarily need to spend $10 billion to put a telescope out in orbit around the sun to discover that, but we're going to be doing that. I think that's part of it. Um, and I was reminded um, <clears throat> in thinking about that, uh, but it's a quote that's attributed to Michael Faraday, but we're not sure exactly how it played out. But somebody asked him when he was able to develop an electric motor or some other uh, electrical phenomena back a couple hundred years ago or so, nearly a couple hundred years ago, um, you know, what would be the usefulness of something like this? And he's, he's replied, well, what would be the usefulness of a newborn baby? You just don't know what you may be able to accomplish uh, from that. And I don't, don't necessarily want to, you know, say that, oh, well, any kind of science has to have a practical application, uh, you know, like a microwave oven. You know, people talk about the space program led us to having microwave ovens, which is cool um, or hot, depending on how you want to think about the microwave <laughs> oven. Uh, but, you know, but it is, there are spinoffs and there are practical applications of things that we just don't know uh, what, what that's going to, you know, what those may be. But there is just something innate in human beings that, that want to understand the world around them better. I think we're just built that way. And as we mentioned, one of the four primary missions um, of the James Webb Telescope is to uh, try to understand better and potentially find the conditions that would be necessary for life on another planet out there. And that would really be a dramatically impactful discovery if we discovered that there's life oh, yeah, somewhere else. Altering the very nature of humanity. Yeah, yeah. That's, that would be incredible. Uh, and if you think about it, I mean, I think, you know, obviously I'm, I'm not an expert, but it seems like the odds are on our side. Um, just looking at that deep field image, you're literally talking about thousands of galaxies in that image, mm -hmm. and you're looking at a tiny sliver of a degree of one, from one part of space. Take that and expand that to the entire. 360 degrees all around us yeah. and what billions of galaxies out there yeah yeah uh, and each galaxy has billions of stars yeah yeah <coughs> Excuse me. yeah and yeah. then it seems a lot of the stars have many planets around them we've discovered so. we've discovered what literally thousands yeah of a few thousand planets right yeah yeah we know of a few thousand so, planets out there and we're so just you, scratching the surface on that so if you're if you you know if you take all those galaxies and all those stars and all those planets get up to some pretty big numbers after a while you would you would think that maybe there's you know something growing underneath the rock somewhere <laughs> yeah yeah if you it's it's not exactly the numbers but we if if you know chemistry the idea of a mole a mole sure, of objects which is mm -hmm. like 10 times six times 10 to the 23rd objects that's about how many stars there are in our visible universe and so that's a whole bunch of stars that's and we figure about half of those probably have planets around them so that's a that's a bunch of planets right um that, so you know that that's an argument definitely for there being life out there it'll we just don't know how easy or how hard it is for it to get started and to to continue to develop that's that's the questions that we don't have answers one of the questions we don't have answers to at this point that that makes it interesting and makes it speculative at this point right right exactly okay. we know it happened once right <laughs> <laughs> yeah we know we've got, that's us so it's, we know it's possible yeah right? the, the yeah. chances are not zero right yeah. um what else is going on in space right now? The, the Webb Telescope. Oh, and by the way, folks, uh, we've, we've been talking about some of the amazing images the, the Webb Telescope has already captured, and uh, I'll be posting uh, uh, some links on the show's webpage where you can go and, and check out those NASA websites that uh, 
our guest has mentioned, so just uh, bookmark um, loyalopposition.online, and when you go there, you'll see uh, one of the menu items will be links. And if you click on that, you'll see, uh, or you will see, once they get it put up, you'll see some <laughs> links that can take you to look at some of these pictures, and some of them are the ones some that NASA puts up uh, are very high resolution, and so they're remarkably um, detailed and brilliant and beautiful. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, one of the things you're doing with these early images is they're taking some of the famous images from Hubble from previous yes, years, yes. and they're re-imaging those objects with the James Webb and putting those images up side by side, and it's really neat to see those. So it's it's uh, the uh, the resolution, in other words, the ability to see fine detail of the James Webb is is a little bit better than the uh, the Hubble Space Telescope, not not a lot, but a little bit better, um, and um, so you're seeing roughly the same, a little bit better resolution on the, a little bit more detail in the images. But it's you, if you look at some of the gas clouds at the Hubble's image, you can see through those gas clouds and see what's on the other side of them with James Webb because it's looking at that infrared that goes through the clouds. And so those, like the pillars of creation that it, that came from Hubble yes, like 20 was, years or so ago. I saw that, yeah. Yeah, that's one of the, the cool ones that they, they put the two images side by side from the two telescopes, and it's really, really sharp. So. Yeah, that is that is cool. So yeah, folks, we'll have those uh, links up on our website um, by tomorrow. And you can have a look. Okay. Uh, so actually, I was asking. So what else is what else, yeah. what else is going on What's in good? space yeah, these yeah. days? Not, not much. <laughs> we've not we've much. got um, we've got other missions uh, working it permanently yeah. around the solar system. Yeah, I mean, right now Artemis is orbiting the moon. Artemis is orbiting and the moon. That's it's right. got another another couple of weeks up before it lands. I believe on the 11th of December is when it's returning to Earth. I believe that's uh, when it's scheduled. So that is the uh, hopefully the precursor to returning people to the moon. Um, right, right now this is an unmanned unmanned at present just to make sure right. it works. Right? Yeah, just carrying the hardware that we would will that'll carry the people to the moon up there, right? So it's, it's basically a checkout mission uh, to make sure everything works before they put people on it, because uh, you don't want to find out it doesn't work if you're the you're the first guys to be riding on it. Uh, so you got that. Um, We've got a ton of missions at Mars. There's several um, several spacecraft orbiting Mars, uh, a couple of landers on Mars, and a couple of rovers still operating on Mars as well. So we're uh, NASA in particular has invested a lot of energy and resources into understanding all they can about Mars because at this point it's the um, the not at this point, but it is the most Earth-like planet that we have besides the Earth, and so if um, it's the most likely to have life as we would know it near the surface and the most likely to be something someplace we could find it habitable eventually with a little bit of a little bit better technology than we have now stuff um so we've got that there's a a, a lovely named spacecraft called bepi colombo that's <laughs> that, that's on its way to mercury mercury is an interesting planet because there's there's some things about um this is my interpretation of, of the research um, that we think we understand why earth has a magnetic field which is very important. Our compasses work uh, because of the Earth's magnetic field. It also protects us from a lot of this stuff out in space that would otherwise be harmful to life. Um, the reason we think Earth has a magnetic field, if we follow that logic for Mercury, then Mercury wouldn't have a magnetic field because it doesn't have those conditions that, that, that we think are the conditions that Earth has. Which I assume would be the presence of metal in the... Yeah, molten, the molten metal molten in the interior metal. of the planet, right? So, so that's a necessary ingredient, we think. But it has a magnetic field, right? And so one of the things that Bepi Colombo is going to do is try to understand that magnetic field better. And that, um, to me, is a potential for a very interesting uh, 
result. Like maybe we just really don't understand magnetic fields the way we think we do. So, hmm. so that that could be pretty interesting, and, that, and that's one of the purposes of that one. We've also got a, a, a couple three missions that are um, either have recovered uh, 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 rocks and debris from an asteroid and in the process of bringing it back or are heading out to do that kind of stuff, right? So we're trying to do some, some sample return missions over that. We've got one of the missions on Mars. It's a lander that has, yeah, that has taken a, a sample of the Martian soil and stored it away in a little container so that we can send in a couple of years, four or five years or so, a robotic rover over to grab that and then launch it back Bring up it back. To, the, to the Earth, right? So, so um, <clears throat> we've got that. You mentioned the Voyager spacecraft heading out of the solar system, the New Horizons spacecraft that flew by um, uh, Pluto about six years ago is still heading out beyond the, uh, beyond the orbit of Neptune, finding small objects out there to observe and stuff, all kind of fun stuff there. Um, there's probably half a dozen to a dozen other space telescopes looking at gamma rays, X-rays, other parts of the spectrum up there. And of course, SpaceX, Blue Origin, all those um, the private companies are trying to get people and satellites up. I uh, have a daughter that lives on the Space Coast, and she can go out in her backyard and watch a rocket go up, you know, <laughs> once or twice a week nowadays. That's, that's pretty cool. And that's then I was, cool. to point out, even though if you're not, don't have to be in a space mission, just, just what's happening up in the sky. If you, it's a nice clear night, put on a coat and step out after supper, you can look to the south and see Jupiter up in the southern part of the sky. It's, it's the brightest thing you would see in the sky apart from the moon, and actually it's pretty close to the moon tonight. Uh, so you can see Jupiter, and if you wait a little bit longer, Mars is coming up in the uh, in the east. See a, a fairly bright uh, red uh, star-like looking thing there. So a lot of stuff just happens. You can go out with your naked eye and watch it happen. So. Let's talk a little bit more about Artemis for a second. Um, the, uh, the, expe the, the expectations that the unmanned Artemis will lead to a manned Artemis landing on right. the moon, and that really is sort of the first step to getting back to Mars, to getting yeah. to Mars, right? Right, right, yeah. So, so there's, a, there's a lot of similarities uh, in um, is having an outpost on the moon. I've heard, I've heard a couple of the NASA representatives say, we don't want to go to the moon, we don't want to visit the moon, we want to stay there, right? So we want to go and establish an outpost on the moon. And um, a lot of the technological uh, environmental health issues that you would run into with a Martian outpost, you have those similar sorts of hurdles to, to overcome with a lunar outpost. But you're only a quarter of a million miles away. You're three days away from home as opposed to six to 12 months away from home if you're on Mars, right? And so it's all be a lot easier to test that technology, see if it works, uh, make sure it works uh, on the moon um, than it will be just to say, oh, I hope it works and head off to Mars. Right, right, because you're probably not coming back. Right? Yeah, yeah, that, that's, that's, yeah, I don't know, you know, which, I forget which of the private companies it is, but that's, you know, advertising one-way tickets. One-way tickets and one there are people tickets. lining up. People yeah, lining yeah. Up, yeah, not too different than, you know, 400 years ago when people were coming to the, to North exactly. America, South America, right? So. Wow. Although there were trees and, and fish and water in North and South America, <laughs> and there's not trees and fish and water on Mars, so that's pretty. Well, there might be water. Yeah, there there is water. Yeah, yeah, yeah some water. It. Yeah, you got to be able to get to get it, to right? Right. Use it, yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, so it looks like. Oh yeah. Uh, we're gonna go ahead and take our final break right now. When we come back, we're gonna finish up with uh, astronomer Tim Ferriss here on the Loyal Opposition.
on WQKR. How many financial advisors does it take to ruin what could have been a perfectly secure retirement? Just one. With today's market turmoils, it's never been more important to make sure that your investment strategies are aligned with your retirement objectives. That's why you should always seek a second opinion with an experienced financial advisor, a fiduciary who is obligated to work with your best interest so that you're absolutely certain the tools and strategies that you're using are in harmony with your retirement objectives. Call investment advisor representatives Nathan Cox and Lindsey Cotter of Retirement Income Solutions at 833-299-1416. That's 833-299-1416. It's never been more important to make sure that your investment strategies are aligned with your retirement objectives. That's 833-299-1416. Hey, join me, Kenny Mann, right here on the queue for Wednesday night's Triple Play Sports. It's every Wednesday, and Elijah Jacobs, Phil Tucker, that's Triple Play, and it's right here on the queue. Man, we're talking sports. You don't want to miss it. See you there. Planet Fitness Triple Play Sports, every Wednesday night from 6 until 9 on WQKR, broadcast live and on location from Planet Fitness in downtown Portland. DT McCall is your neighborhood mattress superstore at 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette and online at dtmccalls.com. Queenset started only $499.99 at DT McCall for beautiful Amish handcrafted beds and many national brands too. Dr. J's Spinal Series Queen Size Bed started just $15.99.99 and 12 months, 0% interest is available. Some restrictions apply. Also this month at DT McCall, high-quality, good-looking LG washers and dryers are on sale, starting at just $649.99 each. Frigidaire and Samsung refrigerators, freezers, and ranges are all on sale, too, with big savings and mail-in rebates. Friendly hometown service, great savings in every department, convenient financing, and free delivery within 125 miles of Carthage. Shop where we shop at WQKR. D.T. McCall, 1220 Scottsville Road in Lafayette. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC, 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Hello, WQKR listeners. This is Courtney Reiselman from Reiselman Buick GMC, and thanks to you, we're the fastest-growing dealership in the Nashville area. Here's the thing. Our goal is every customer, every time. Our name is Buick GMC, yet we buy pre-owned vehicles all over the country. Mercedes, Toyota, Honda, just let us know, and we'll find it. Did you know our collision and body shop is top rated? Bring it to us, and we'll fix it right the first time. Todd, I, and the team thank you for your support and appreciate your business. We look forward to seeing you. In the Portland, Gallatin, Hendersonville, and Springfield area, you'll find the perfect vehicle for your lifestyle at Reiselman Buick GMC. Open Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. until 7.30 p.m. and 8 till 6 on on Saturday at 2516 Memorial Boulevard in Springfield. Welcome back to the Loyal Opposition here on WQKR, Portland's radio station. 
Finishing up with astronomer Tim Ferriss. Tim, tell us something we don't know about our own solar system. All right, so I'll, let's see a couple of things here. So one of the things I like to do is I like to go hiking and chase waterfalls. I'll take photographs or, you know, you know find nice waterfalls off up, up on the plateau or something like that and uh, connect that up at a little different place. Most, a lot of us may heat our homes with natural gas, right? So you got hooked up to a pipeline and pay, you know, for that every, every winter and stuff. Um, well, on Saturn's moon Titan, they have a water cycle, which is like, you know, evaporation, condensation, precipitation, runs down in the lakes and stuff like that. But it's not with water, it's with natural gas. It's with methane. It's much, much colder at, at Titan it's cold enough so that methane is around its melting and evaporation point. And so methane will evaporate, condense into clouds, rain down onto the surface, and then flow into lakes of methane that are on Titan. And I was thinking, how cool would it be to grab a camera and tripod and go traipsing around Titan <laughs> and catch a few methane waterfalls over there, right? A stinky planet. Yeah, today. very stinky. Yeah. Stinky moon, I should say, right? Yeah. Oh. And then the other thing I would just say that, that to me this is actually really kind of depressing is that space is closer to us right now than Memphis. Space is closer to Memphis. Space is closer than Memphis. Like I could get my astronauts wings by going up about 100 miles or so. And a lot of the satellites in low Earth orbit are they're only about a couple hundred miles above the surface. Memphis is like 240 miles from here, right? And I don't want to go to Memphis. You want to go to space. I could go to <laughs> Memphis, but I, I could do that pretty easy. But it's so hard to get to space. And it's... And it's no further. No further than Not Memphis, even, right? Even closer, yeah. That's, yeah. That is that's a, like, wow, that's just kind of discouraging, right? Yeah, it's kind so of a hard, sad thought. <laughs> so hard to get there. But anyway, so that, that, that's a couple of things that, that we don't think about very often. So. Oh, that's great. Um, uh, hopefully we've uh, say, uh, gathered made people, made people interested about learning more about this kind of stuff. What are our <laughs> options here in you know, the middle Tennessee area, if we want to learn more. We have any observatories, planetariums, telescopes, courses you can take, people yeah, you can yeah, talk yeah. to. What do we got out there? Well, we, we, we are the beneficiaries of some really great uh, great services here. We've got the Sudicum Planetarium at the Adventure Science Center, and the folks that run that are very knowledgeable. they got some great programs down there. Uh, it's a great place to go by and spend an afternoon. It's kind of build as a kids museum but right. the grown-ups love it a lot too so okay. so it's great uh, you've got vanderbilt's dire observatory on the other side of nashville south side of town which has public programs uh frequently uh here locally the cumberland astronomical society is sumner county gallatin uh, uh amateur astronomers club and they're pretty active they're getting back more active uh since covid uh, and doing more public events and things like that. They're, they're a great resource. You can just do an internet search on Cumberland Astronomical Society there. And if you're interested in taking a class or something like that, well, what's the best place in Sumner County to take a course on something? It's going to be Volunteer, Volunteer State, State Community, Community College, College, right? <laughs> so, so we currently have an online astronomy course that um, that's offered that uh, you can take from the comfort of your own home and get four hours of college credit for it. Wow. All right. All right. Thank you so much. Uh, thanks for coming by, Tim. It was very interesting. Very, very My interesting. Pleasure. My uh, pleasure. Well, folks, coming to the end of uh, another hour of the loyal opposition. Uh, next week, uh, we're going to have another fa interesting guest. We're going to have former state representative Deborah Maggart will be joining us to talk politics in Sumner County. Uh, 
We have so far one response from our request for charitable organizations. Uh, someone has suggested that we uh, that we shower some love on the Shalom Zone. Okay, that's, that certainly sounds like a great idea. So if you've got other ideas for charities to support, let us know. Text me, message me, email me from the website, and we'll get them down, and we'll somehow pick one. Uh, up next, we've got Triple Play Sports. And so until next week, folks, I'm Elena Santi. This is The Loyal Opposition, and you're listening to WQKR, Portland's radio station. Good night, everyone. Sports, WQKR Portland, 1270 AM and 1017 FM. It's the Marshmallows for toasting and caroling out in the snow. There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago. It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time of the year There'll be scary ghost stories and tales of the glories of Christmases long, long ago It's the most wonderful time of the year. There'll be much mistletoeing and hearts will be glowing when loved ones are near. It's the most wonderful time. Yes, the most wonderful time. Oh, the most wonderful.